0: Good evening everybody it's mario with motorcycle knuckle busters and we've got another great episode for you i know i say this every time that i'm excited about the next guest but really, uh, i truly am i really enjoy the people we get to meet I, I enjoy opening up the world to uh to these great guests and i hope that you all are really enjoying this and if you are please share our page uh, follow us on youtube follow us on iphone uh Anywhere you you know, we're out there on all these different uh, mediums, so check us out. Facebook is where you're finding us in a lot of these places, and that's great. But I want to talk about our next artist. Our next artist, uh, he is somebody that his work I've seen for years. It's it's absolutely remarkable. I know any of you that follow Harley Davidson Motorcycle World probably have seen his work, even if you don't know who he is, although I do believe most of you know exactly who he is. we're, we're introducing him now. We want to talk to him and everything because we've got the Sturgis Rally coming up. And I would highly recommend that you go see him and his facilities in Deadwood. All right. It's a great trip. It's a great town. It's a great place to visit. But without further ado, I want to introduce an incredible artist in Scott Jacobs. Hey, guys, how's everybody today? <laughs> Yeah, we're great. We are. We are doing so good, and uh, we're all geared up and excited that Sturgis is, you know, just around the corner. And uh, my goodness, it looks like you're working hard at at some stuff for Sturgis. So tell us yeah. what you got going on there, Scott.
1: Well, I I came up with a painting uh, for. I did a still life this year, first time ever for the Sturgis uh, Rally piece because I've done. I've been doing the Sturgis official covers and everything for, believe it or not, twenty seven years now. And so this year, I wanted to do something a little bit different. so I did a still life, came up with a with a, um, a Sturgis Rally wine label. Um, it's a woman riding through Needles Highway on a bike. And I'm doing it in a more of a, a, a classic style, like the style of the old, uh, you know, hold on, I'll show it to you right here. It's getting, okay. I mean, I've been working on this for days. I'm, I have to finish the lettering at the top. That's what I'm working on right now. Okay. My deadline is, is today. It has to be shot by tomorrow morning, be up to the printer for the uh, labels. But I use this actual bottle in the main painting, and this will be the actual label that's printed on the bottles. It'll be my exact work, so I'm real excited about it this year.
0: So now we can go buy a bottle of wine and we can get you know a depiction of your original art.
1: Exactly. And I'm going to sign all the bottles too. We'll make them available during the rally here at my gallery and also at our brew house, which is in town as well.
0: Okay. I can't wait. So uh, you need to set a bottle aside for me because we're planning on coming and visiting. So we're going to be out there. I
1: have have one with your name on it. Don't worry about it.
0: All right. We'll be out there for the legends ride. And uh, and, uh, we'll come visit you there and the brew house. So um, i really, you know, I, I, I'm very familiar with your work. I love your work. I've been following it. I enjoy that. I've been at the gallery, uh, a couple of, you know, number of times actually, um, been to the Brewer house, really, really enjoy that. And it, so it was really important to me that we kind of allow people to, um, learn a bit, a little bit more about Scott Jacobs. So, so now I understand you, you grew up in Westfield, New Jersey, correct?
1: I did. I was born in New Jersey back in 1958. Yeah. And, uh, I was, I was born in Elizabeth General Hospital and then moved to what was called Cranford, New Jersey. Then after that, went to Westfield, grew up in Westfield, uh, graduated high school there, uh, opened up an art gallery there back in 1978 uh, when I was 19 years old, and then added four galleries to the chain, one in Warren, New Jersey, and one in Summit, New Jersey. So by the time I was 22, I had three major galleries in New Jersey, uh, so now I've been in the business for, believe it or not, 44 years in the art business, not only as an art gallery owner, but as a, a publisher and a fine artist.
0: So at, at what age did people recognize or you recognize in yourself that this was your calling? This is where, you know, you knew you're going to take to your life.
1: Um, you know, I, I used to I used to do a lot of sketching and drawing. Um, A lot of it were caricatures and things like that. And then when I was a kid, when I was in uh, junior high, we used to cover our our books in school with uh, paper. You know how you did that with paper bags to protect them?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So
1: I I did these incredible you know, detailed drawings on these these books um, to make them more interesting. And then one day in school, um, somebody came over and said, we're looking for an illustrator for the school newspaper. And... Would you be interested in maybe doing a, uh, a drawing every week? And I said, yeah. So I became the, I guess you'd call it the official artist for the school newspaper in my high school. And I, I did that. But what that did was it made me think about art on a daily basis. You know, I had to come up with something new for every week. So I had it, I had it in my bones at that point. And then I got a job when I was in – I was 15 years old in an art gallery. And they allowed me to, when I started painting a little more seriously, to start bringing my art into the gallery itself. So I got positive comments. I got negative comments. Um, I tried impressionism. I tried cubism. Every time I did something photorealistic, I got more positive comments about it. So that that was the route I went because it was – the market drove me in that direction because people loved when I was doing the, um, the, the the realistic paintings, like I've been doing for so many years.
0: Sure. So now, I mean, growing up, you know, so, so for people that don't know, I mean, you're basically growing up in a suburb community in New York City. Um, how did Correct. growing up there, the influences that were there, how did they contribute to uh, motivating you or driving you?
1: Um. Well. You know, the thing that motivated me a lot was uh, my parents, and that not in a positive way. My my parents were both alcoholics, and um, they told me at an early age I'd never amount to anything. I, you know, they didn't even want to spend money for me to go to college or anything. So I set out to really prove them wrong. That's why I was so aggressive when I was a young kid. I wanted to get out of the house as soon as possible, and you know, thank God it worked out. Of course. I don't know that I got many influences from, you know, where I lived or anything like that. The images that I paint for Harley Davidson are mostly images from my personal experiences on the road and things like that. You know, it's it's uh, the things I enjoy. I paint a lot of motorcycles. I paint cars. I paint wine bottles. Um, I paint a lot of cigars. I don't smoke cigars, though. Uh, but I paint
0: okay.
1: things that have been, you know, inspired me in my life because that way, you know, that whole... The whole time I spent in front of the easel, it's enjoyable.
0: Absolutely. Now, uh, there's been two published works now, uh, two books about okay. your works. So tell, tell folks about those and where they can find those books.
1: They're hard. They're both, they're both out of print now. The first one came out in, like, 1998. Um, it's uh, the Motorcycle Works of Scott Jacobs. So it's, it's pretty motorcycle-heavy in that book. There's some, there's some of my car art in there, too, as well. Um, and then after that, there's a book that came out I, I don't know the exact year. I think it's maybe 2008 or 10, uh, the complete works, which is a 350 page book of a lot of my art. It's got my wine art. It's got, uh, paintings all over way back when I used to paint by another name, uh, back into the eighties even. So it's, it's a more expansive collection of my work. Um, is that book, and that's that's the one that you can probably find easily. It's called the Complete Works of Scott Jacobs. You can get that through. Uh, you might even be able to get it online still, or you can get it through my gallery here in in Deadwood.
0: Okay, that's outstanding. So um, Cody, our our producer, he grabbed a couple of pictures. So we're going to start popping some pictures up, just some different things, so we can tell the uh, talk about these things. So um, I think he's ready for the first one. All right. So. Well, you yeah. did, so you did this show so yep. tell us and and i believe you did this with uh one of your daughters correct
1: yeah uh seeker millionaire was a was the number one show for uh abc for i think it was six years it ended in 2000 uh 2012 um alexa I, I i was actually flying and I was in Chicago on a connection and I got this email from the casting director from ABC saying that they wanted to talk to me about possibly starring in Secret Millionaire and I thought it was just a joke so I said uh, I sent them an email back I said I'm traveling let me let me see if I can get back to you next week and they said well we're in LA right now and we lived in San Diego at the time they said could we meet you on Sunday when you get back and I was like you mean in two days when I get home? They're like, "Yeah, we'd like to come to your home." And so I I googled the people uh, whose names were on this email, and it was uh, you know a, a TV producer, a movie producer, a director, and they were at my front door on Sunday morning, and it was legit. You know, did the interview process, and then halfway through my interview, uh, my two daughters walked through uh, the door, and I introduced them to the you know the people there, and they said that. We've never done an episode of this show where a father and daughter were involved. And so we thought that Alexa couldn't do it because we thought she had to be over 18. But that wasn't the case for this particular show. So they uh, interviewed Olivia and Alexa, too, another day. And, you know, in in depth, asked them a lot of questions because they want to have this this show to be really emotional. It has to be an emotional, not just for the audience, but for us, too. You know, it's not a scripted show, so it's, it's, uh, it's real life. Um, so at the end of the uh, interviews with the two daughters, they asked us who we would pick. And all of us in the family said Alexa. Because Alexa, you know, came across at times to be kind of like she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth kind of attitude. And so they wanted her there, too. That's who they picked, but they wanted our opinion. So we all picked unanimously Alexa. So she started in the show with me. Uh, we were the premier episode in 2012 of the season and it was the highest rated show they had for the entire season was that particular episode. And I think another reason for that is because Harley Davidson promoted it and a lot of other avenues promoted it too. So it wasn't just ABC's commercial, the whole motorcycle industry knew about it as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's so cool. Now, do you, how did, uh, so, did you, uh, that experience doing the show, um, did it change your view on anything um, as far as, you know, the, the, I know you have a giving heart, but, you know, just coming in contact and doing that with folks like that, because, a, like you said, it was a very emotional uh, show oh, yeah. that they had. And when you were going to these people and, and bringing them, I mean, that was a pretty phenomenal experience.
1: It was, um it was an amazing experience, not only for me. I mean, Alexa changed dramatically throughout that show, and you can see the transformation uh, from the beginning of the show to when we finished. Um, even in the first ten or fifteen minutes, she, um, you know, she broke down sitting on the stairs of the boarded-up crack house they actually put us in because they wanted to immerse us in this this poor community. We went to Newark, New Jersey, and um, it was a boarded-up crack house that they got from the city they put some cots in there we stayed in there and we lived in a burnout area Uh, they gave us $71.03 to live with and we had to survive in a week going around town and you know we were we were undercover so we had a crew of 30 people there we had two or three cameras on us at all times and we had to tell everybody we're doing a document our a uh, documentary on uh, volunteering basically and that's why all the cameras and the people were around us, and that we were, you know, we're supposed to not get by um, letting anybody know who we were. Uh, one girl said, "Oh, you don't. I don't think you are who you are because you have a nice haircut or something. You have an expensive haircut," she says. So I think I think eventually a couple people figured it out. But the people that did when we filmed, the um, of course that didn't make it to the final show. They cut that out. But it was an amazing experience and i would do it again in a heartbeat.
0: so you mentioned you mentioned in that uh you mentioned harley Davidson supported you yeah. you know that's something i you know people maybe don't know in 1993 you became the first officially licensed artist for harley Davidson. correct
1: i did yeah and that was a that was a big day for me i was really surprised that day it was awesome it, it, it took a long time you know i'll tell you how it, it came about so i was uh I was doing a lot of car paintings and celebrity portraits and things like that at the time. And I got to a crossroads in my career where I needed to paint something that was going to touch more people, that was going to be more I guess you would want to say commercial, meaning it would more people would want to hang in their houses. And when I was doing these these portraits, and you know, I did the billionaire Malcolm Forbes, I did uh, Kim Alexis, Kathy Ireland, all these supermodels uh but there's no there's no market for limited edition pieces of those people so i was on the phone with one of the guys who worked for me for quite some time named ron koppel and ron ron said you know i was just in uh, the canyon in uh in uh, topanga canyon in california and there's just motorcycles everywhere He goes, you know have you ever thought about paint motorcycles and i said yeah not really You know, and I'd been a motorcyclist since I was 15 years old. So it was a natural thing for me to think about and be interested in. And so I did a couple paintings and then they have these two big motorcycle, not motorcycle, but art events. They're called Art Expo. They're held in New York and they're also held in um, Los Angeles. So I did the one in New York City and the licensing arm of Harley Davidson is called the Beanstalk Group out of New York City. They came to the show. And they came up to me in my booth and said that I couldn't do what I was doing. They you said, You're you're painting trademark and licensed images. You really can't do that. Um, is that noise in the background irritating you?
0: No, we're okay with that.
1: Yeah, one of my nephew Todd's uh, untaping a painting we're working on. So I didn't know if it's yep. an issue I could have him stop. But so Beanstalk Group told me I couldn't do what I was doing. They they sent me a cease and desist and I didn't really listen to them, so I did the next show, which was in L.A., and that same licensing arm was there again, and, but the problem was, not the problem, but the, I think the good part was is that Jeff Bluestein, who was the president of the company at the time, was with them, and Jeff said, is this the artist we've been talking about? He said, yes, we've already sent him a cease and desist, and he goes, well, this stuff's really wonderful, why don't we try to figure something out? And they said, well, we don't license artwork. And I said, well, why don't you license artwork? They said, well, every time we license something, it's a big contract. It costs, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And we got lawyers got to do this and got to do that. And I said, but it's not that I want to do one painting and get a license. I want to continue. I want to do painting after painting and build an art program, you know, with Harley Davidson's. And so after them thinking about it, about, uh, I guess it was about, Six months later, I became the first artist in the world ever licensed by Harley Davidson, which means I have a, a seal of approval from Harley Davidson. I work directly with them on big projects. Uh, they art directed the 100th anniversary painting and things like that. That means that the images that I produce can also be put on, you know, puzzles and collector plates and you know, pocket watches and all kinds of things that are sold all over the world which is great revenue for me as an artist because licensing money is what we call you know, mailbox money. It's free money.
0: Yes, Very it's nice. Already, you already, I,
1: no, you already did the painting. You did the prints. And then when somebody said like, if you own a puzzle company and you contact me and say, I want 24 Harley Davidson puzzles, what do you got? And I give you all these images and then I'm making money from paintings. Maybe I did 20 years ago,
0: you know, so yeah, to, that's, that's okay. outstanding. So I want to pop up another picture because, you know, we're talking about uh, motorcycles and stuff. But, you know, I got to tell you, some of the the pictures of of flowers and things you do are just phenomenal. And this one really always stood out to me. So so tell me about this picture, you know, and um, how did you come about? You know, was this a picture you took of a flower or maybe it was uh, Olivia or something?
1: A lot of times, a lot of times I work from photos that I've taken. And other times, you know, I I look through stock photography, you know, sites that have just amazing photographers out there doing beautiful works. That particular one, I found the photo, I believe it was a stock photography photo. And when I finished it, it just wasn't exciting enough for me. So I added all those water drops. Okay. Um, I think that's what makes that piece so dramatic. That's a, that's a phalaenopsis is what that flower or an orchid but the technical term for it is a pellonopsis. I love well,
0: that it, choice. That, sorry, it's it's the water drops that does it for me because it just that, gives it that depth and it gives it texture, which I really love. And
1: that was the last. That was the last thing I uh, added to the piece was the water drops.
0: Okay, that's uh, that's absolutely beautiful. So I want to pop up another picture and talk about this. So um here's you with eddie money and you know and unfortunately you know we lost eddie money a little a little while back ago um but you did a portrait of eddie money and you've done a number of portraits of, of rock and roll artists and, and various people as well correct yeah I,
1: I met eddie you know probably 15 years ago um I, he played at arlen nest you know, arlen Nesta, you know, the superstar motorcycle builder yeah. uh, we grand opening up there in northern california of his new facility and um, he had hired eddie money to play and i got there early because we were close friends with arlen and i hung out and met eddie we became i wouldn't say good friends but you know we were friendly to each other and then over the years it just seemed like i ran into him in so many places this photo that you're showing now uh, was at salt lake city airport i think it's funny because it looks like i'm going to go grab him in the you know the crotch or something
0: <laughs> Right. <laughs>
1: but uh, Eddie, Eddie was wonderful, a really funny man, and he was always—he uh, was like he was always on stage. I mean, you can you can see his shirt that he's wearing there. It says "Trouble in Paradise." You know, he he loved being recognized and everything. Uh, I had the honor of playing drums with him um, about six months before he passed. Uh, I also starred in two of his shows. Uh, he had a, a reality show called Real Money. And I had the privilege of being on two of the episodes of his show and uh, just had a great time. Just I missed the guy. and He was only 70 years old when he passed. I yep. did. Um, his wife asked me to do a, a portrait of him for his 70th birthday. And which I did. I don't know if you guys have a photo of it or not. But that that particular painting is hanging over the piano in his studio where he wrote all his big hits.
0: Wow, that's that's really phenomenal. Yeah. I got to ask you, you know, you grew up in Jersey. You ever go down to Asbury Park and check out shows at the Stone Pony?
1: Um, I did years and years ago, but it's, um, uh, I, I've been to New Jersey once in like the last three years, and that was to sprinkle my dad's ashes and see my sister. Mm-hmm. I still have a, a brother and a sister that live down there. So, but no, yeah, I haven't, haven't been in years. It's
0: I smart. haven't been to a show at the Stone Pony since the 80s, and I think the last show I saw there was the Ramones. So, it's oh, been yeah? a few days. but yeah, that that was always a great place to go see some rock and roll. Yeah. So sure. I want to. You you also you talked about cars. So I want to pull up. I want to pull up this next. Oh yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a Bugatti. That was uh, yeah. the Concord Elegance cover piece for this year, the big uh, car show in California. That was the cover image for the magazine. All the big banners behind the stage where they roll up all the cars, um, you know, the ones that win the different categories. It was on all the lanyards and everything,
0: bottles yes. of wine. Well, and, and I think you know people maybe don't realize the significance and how incredible that concourse show is. Yeah, so true. kind of, kind of okay. fill people in on, on what you're going to, you know, what you see there and what that's all about. Well, you've got cars
1: that are just the, the I mean, they're 100-point cars from, from all over the world. Oh. My daughter Alexa just walked in. She just she just came by to say hi, I think. But um, it's it's a great it's a great event. Um, it's you've got cars that are ten million, twenty million, thirty million dollars. They they pick a mark every year that is like whether it's Duesenberg or Packard or maybe it's Mercedes. So I you know over the years I've done the cover for that. I think ten or twelve years in a row now, and I'm very honored every time I do it. I was there in person this year, so. They have posters of all the uh, all the different I- images that I've done over the years, and I actually sign those for everybody too. I sign the yeah. magazine, so it, it's become it's become a fun
0: thing for me. Um, you know,
1: I'm honored. You know that they ask me every year.
0: Yeah, and it's and the work you do there is phenomenal. I think you just you capture you capture the image of the cars, and just what well, to me beautiful cars, just like beautiful motorcycles, are a piece of art. But being able to capture that the way you do is just is just an absolute um, breathtaking thing to, for me, and I think for a lot of people. So I want to grab I want to grab another photo and kind of talk about uh, something else real quick. Now, this is a cannonball, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. Hold okay. Up. My daughter Alexa, just say hi. Say hi to everybody.
0: Hi. hi, Alexa. How are you? I'm good. How's that little one doing?
1: Wonderful. She passed out downstairs right now.
0: She's okay. A-
1: a full-time artist now too. She just had her first big show in uh, Italy in like about a month ago. Yeah, she did great. Yeah, she had a, uh, almost a sellout. Three paintings short of a sellout.
0: Phenomenal! So. That was a great job. Yeah, I've seen her stuff there at the at the gallery, and I just love it. So uh, outstanding. We actually got a picture. We got a picture of hers queued up for later. So oh, good. good. So, so you know, there's you in the uh, motorcycle cannonball. You know, yeah. but for a lot of people don't realize in 2016. Um, you had a bit of a mishap
1: oh yeah yeah it's uh, affected me a lot so, but the one that you show the piece that you uh the black bike um I, that's a 1926 J. I raced yep. that, i raced that in the cannonball in 2012 and 2014 um i had a perfect score with two days left in 2012 and then the morning that we were getting ready to leave i couldn't get my bike to start and my Mechanics couldn't figure it out, and so you have to say 7.30 to get your bike on the road. Otherwise, they have to put it on a trailer and bring it to the stop of the day, and you lose all the points. Yep. For the- About 15 minutes after they put it on the truck, they figured out what was wrong with it, but it was too late. So I lost, I lost all the points for the one day, and if I had that day of points, I would have been in second place overall. And The only bike that would have beat me was a bike that was older than mine. So, I would have had a perfect score. The next time in 2014, I had a perfect score, which, which is a difficult thing to do if you're not a, if you're not a mechanic. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of the guys that do great on the Cannonball are people that, that are mechanics. They have all the tools on their bike, they know what they're doing. I didn't know anything. I would take my cell phone out and call the guy that restored my bike and ask him questions. He was my freaking phone friend on the side of the road. But in fourteen, I cannot to this day believe I actually made every single mile and got there safely because that, that's a tough race. Um, oh, it is. Yeah, in two thousand ten, I went, and a good friend of mine is uh, is Chris Summer Simmons. Um, yes. Yeah, who's Pat Simmons's wife, yep. and they, they were partners with us on the races in two thousand fourteen and sixteen. But in ten, I went to follow her because she was doing a, a motorcycle. My my nephew's dropping stuff in the background now. <laughs> um, she was doing a motorcycle book, uh, like the I think it was called the Cannonball Chronicles or something like that. Yes. And so I went and I went in a sidecar and I photographed her throughout the race. So a lot of the photos of her racing in the book are, are photographs I took. And then oh, at, in
0: 2010,
1: I decided that oh hell, I want to do this. So. But I didn't have any bikes that old, so I went out and I bought a 1926 J, and I gave it to Steve Hunzinger, who's in California, and an amazing restorer. He worked on it for about eight or ten months, and uh, just beautiful. I couldn't believe that I was going to take this 100-point bike and race it across the country. Uh, but she did great. She did beautiful. As a matter of fact, a freaky thing happened with that motorcycle about two months ago. In my yeah,
0: g- tell us the uh, stand.
1: Yeah. In my gallery here, we've got bikes that are eight feet high above, you know, on the side.
0: So um,
1: that was uh, – so 2016, the Cannonball, um, we had to go on bikes that were uh, 1915 or earlier. So I purchased two 1915 bikes, beautiful ones, and it was from uh, Atlantic City to – Where did we finish? Uh, Because I wasn't at the finish. (laughs) San Diego. Uh, Second day of the race, uh, coming through uh, Maryland, through Cumberland, Maryland. Actually uh, came around a turn in the woods, uh, coming uphill, making a a left-hand turn. And the city had uh, graveled the road. They were going to resurface it, and they put all the little pea gravel down but didn't yep. spray that slurry coat stuff on there to hold it in place yet because we were coming through. So quite a few bikes slid out on it, and I was doing pretty well. I was up on my bike, and I was, you know, swirly and shaking around. Still upright, though. Coming down the hill, I noticed an intersection where there was no more gravel beyond the intersection. So my goal was to make it through that intersection, but the problem was there was cars coming in both directions. So I made the decision to do a defensive move and actually lay my motorcycle down. Um, thank God I had the right gear on. A company called Revit, R-E-V-I-T, had sent me this ballistic gear that I wore in the race and it was magnificent. I didn't even have a, a scratch on me as far as road rash or anything. And I slid down the road about 85 feet from what they measured on the accident. Um, but what happened is my bike was sliding, there was like a hump in the road and it was just enough to make my tires hit and catch and high side me and flip me over the motorcycle. So last second, I jerked my head to the side and I landed on my shoulder and I obliterated my shoulder, the whole top of my humerus and, uh, my clavicle severed my biceps, uh, tore all the rotator attachments off. Yeah, my nephew said it wasn't very humorous. Um, And laid in the middle of the road, you know, face up with this beautiful 1950 motorcycle almost in the intersection. And the first thing that, uh, first person that came on the scene were these two guys in a pickup truck looking down at me on my back with my bike almost in the intersection and asked if I needed any help. I'm laying in the middle of the road on my back and they're, do you need any help? And they actually turned. Because I I, I I was I couldn't breathe or anything. I'm laying there. I, I couldn't respond to them. They left and turned, and then a minute later they turned around, came back, and I could you know I got caught my breath, and I said yes, please call me an ambulance. And so they did, and they stayed with me until the. Uh, actually, my wife was uh, on the race too that year, and her bike had broken down about two miles prior to me going down, and so. Okay was able to get my phone out of the inside of my pocket and I called her and she goes, where are you? I said, just stay on the race, you know, stay on the directions of the race. I'm in the middle of the road. And, you know, I, I, not too many people going to be in the middle of the road. And so she came up on uh, one of the sidecars, one of the guys that are the support people of the team came up on me. Um, they got me out of the road, got me on the side of the road. And And the Flintstones picked me up, the Flintstones ambulance. That's what it was. It was like, oh, my God, we're going to have to pedal our way back to the hospital now. (laughs) But I spent days in the hospital. They they rebuilt my arm. They had to pull a lot of bone out that had fragmented in my muscles, uh, reattached my, um, you know, my biceps, uh, put in a metal, you know, like a replacement shoulder in there which didn't work too well for the first four years. So about a a little over a year ago, I had a revision. Uh, They cut me open and they put a new type in there with um, the top of it would be considered a total shoulder replacement where they actually screwed the ball into my glenoid. Mm -hmm. The other type was not working. Um, And the thing that's um, affected me since that is that I can't paint as long per day as I used to. I used to paint if I'm on, con- you know, a contract or something, eight to 10 hours a day. And now in a really good day, maybe four hours is all I can paint because, you know, the muscles have never really recovered. Um, I don't have any rotator attachments, which is what, you know, that, that makes your arm go in these directions. And sure. uh, it just it's taken so long for me to strengthen other muscles to get my arm to move that way. Um, so paintings that maybe they would have taken me a month to do, they're taking me two months to do because I need twice as many days to do them. Sure.
0: So it's affected. a lot of
1: But uh, the, also the other thing though, that it, it positive, I guess, out of it, it made me, you know, in the hospital, it made me think about, you know, what I'm doing with my art. You know, it made me think about all the images that I've had in my head for so many years that I never put on a canvas. And the reason I hadn't, because I'm under contract with Harley Davidson, Chevrolet Motor Company, Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, you know, Ford Motor Company, Porsche, doing all these projects for everybody else. So I would be an artist that knew exactly I knew my next ten paintings in the in the, in the hopper because I had these contracts. So what I did was I decided that I needed to paint more for myself. So I needed to. I needed to paint images that I always wanted to paint for myself because that day could have been the last day I ever painted in my life. And I never filled all these images I had in my head. So I said, if I ever recovered, I can paint again because they weren't sure I'd be able to use my right arm to the extent that I could paint like I do. And uh, two great surgeons did some great work on me. And it's um, I I think I'm about as healed as I'm ever going to be, but I'm back to painting as far as quality as good as i've ever painted in my career
0: that's that's phenomenal you know I and mean it's uh you know what it what an experience to go through i mean and i was going to ask you you know what how that change made perspective and you already answered that you know you you wanted to go back to what your art what was in your heart rather than these contracts and stuff exactly um, you know, and that's and that's sometimes, you know, we need things that happen in our lives. You know, I don't wish tragedy on anybody, but sometimes things come into our lives in those tragedies. You can define it by making it a positive thing and turn it into a positive rather than a negative. You very easily could have gone the other way. And some people do. But, hey, at 19 years old, you were doing galleries and and, and, and starting galleries. I mean, so you're, you're not a quitter. You're somebody that creates, I mean, I'm kind of curious at 19, how did you even get those galleries going?
1: Um, It was, um, you know, I made a lot of money cutting lawns, believe it or not. When I was a kid, I had 42 accounts and I got five and $6 a, a lawn to cut lawns. And I saved a lot of that money. And when I worked in the gallery, there was an owner, a woman, a very um, two two women actually. One woman married a very wealthy man, and he didn't want her to work anymore. So he said, "I want you to sell the gallery. I want you to just you know just enjoy the rest of your life with me." And so they put it up on up for sale. They didn't get any interest in it. And so one day, just jokingly, I said, "I've got thirty two hundred dollars saved, you know, you know." They were asking like one hundred and ten grand at the time. This is back in nineteen seventy eight. And so they're like, "Uh oh, you know, know it's, you know, it's a hundred something thousand. And then after, after, you know, a few weeks of them not selling it, she goes, are you really serious about buying? I said, I don't have the money. I said, I have 3,200 bucks. And she goes, okay, we'll take your 3,200 bucks. The gallery is yours. And, uh, but the only problem was I had no more money and my parents not being, um, very supportive of me wouldn't loan me the money to keep the lease of the gallery going. So I had no money to keep the gallery open. So the one good thing my parents did do for me is they allowed me to bring the contents of the gallery to their house, and I set up a frame shop in their garage, and I had product down in their basement, and then I they have these things called ValPack, you know, which is a like a coupon, like in in, in, hello ValPack. I think they might still exist and so i mailed those out i had the mailing list of the gallery and i said hey you know we i moved temporarily come and make an appointment you know call me up here and they came to my parents house and they picked out art they picked out framing i framed in the basement and then people came back and i saved i saved enough money over a year period to be able to not only open a gallery but to purchase my own building you know, so I became a, a you know a building owner when I was uh, very young, which has helped me out over over the years.
0: Well that's that's a great story. I, I so appreciate you sharing that with us. So I want to I want to roll to our next picture because um, I, I uh, these pictures I've really come to love oh, yeah. them.
1: That's a fun one. That's called Slow Burn.
0: You do a better job than anybody like just the smoke rolling off the cigar anybody's just seen a cigar that's sitting there it's burning on the side you know it's just that wisping smoke coming off it is one of the most realistic photos I've ever seen I mean paint
1: It's funny one of my employees the other day thinks that if you look at the smoke at the top and I now I see it every time it looks like a nose
0: Oh yeah it does yeah top? I see that Somebody It looks like Alfred the- Hitchcock
1: yeah and it's pretty cool. my, my nephew Todd, who's here has been one of my assistants he's he he helps a lock on the smoke. Uh, he loves doing that and we come up with patterns and different things. We look at photos online and uh, Todd softens that with airbrush. That's what makes it look so so realistic.
0: Yeah that's and that's and Pappy van Winkle, I mean you're not yep. putting maybe you know the best or most desirable bottle of whiskey out there.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. That that particular bottle itself was a uh, one of the other brands. Uh, what's the bottle? What's that shape bottle? It's a bourbon. Woodford. Uh, that was a Woodford Reserve bottle, yeah. just just painted as a Taffy Van Winkle instead because
0: I needed a pattern. Okay. So it's <laughs> called. Very interesting. That well, that's good to know. Yeah, so I so want to. The- yeah, I love that slow burn. So I can't wait to see that uh, at the gallery. So now I want to I pop up uh, some pictures because, you know, I got to tell you a story. Years, years ago, I was I had a small business and I was in a home in Ashtonville, Ohio. And uh, the lady was niece of uh, Norman Rockwell. Uh-huh. And she had a bunch of his original stuff. And I don't like you, to Norman Rockwell. I don't want to do that. But I, I can was, see
1: it was a big inspiration which, for me. So, yeah, you
0: can do but that. I can, but I can see that in this art, you know, and here I absolutely love this. And I'm just curious because I'm looking at this little boy and, and I assume that's his mother. When yeah. when you've done them in a piece of your art like this, what is their, what is their reaction the first time they see that art? Uh, g- give me one sec. Hold on one sec. Sure.
1: So that's this, that's this, uh, that's this year's uh, cover piece for Sturgis. So it's funny. I I came, I come up with the idea. I have this process, you know, I come up with the idea. Sometimes I, I take a, a pencil and pad and I draw it out. I come up with the idea and then I try to recreate it with photo reference. So I had to, I had to find models. Hold on. Sorry. Hard one, you know. You got a bunch of businesses that everybody's trying to get through to you.
0: Um, yeah, we understand.
1: So I came out, came up with this, um, you know, the image, and then I drew it out, drew a sketch, and I envisioned how it could be. And then I had to figure out the bike, and then I had to figure out the models. So the bike I used was my wife's uh, uh, Cannonball bike from 2014, and her race number was 81. And that was the official piece for the 81st, which was last year. So that's why I used her bike, because it had the 81 on the plate. This year's cover, the magazine company was supposed to change the 1 on the plate to a 2, because this is the 82nd. So that's the only thing they messed up. So people might say, hey, this isn't the 81st, this is the 82nd. Yes, you're right, but it was supposed to have been changed in the image. But I was in Walmart and this little boy was standing there with a Sturgis hat that was way too big for his head. And I said, is your mom or dad here? And he turns and he points to this beautiful woman standing there in a Harley coat. And I said, hi. You know, I went over. I told her who I was. And I was a you know artist. And I, I was thinking about maybe using your son in a, a painting for Sturgis. And she goes, I know who you are, Scott. And I was like, my, my husband owns the flooring company. He did all the floors in your brew house. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so long story short, I found the two the two models for the painting. It's uh, mother and son. Um, his name is Hayes and her name is Jade. And they said, yes, they would come and model for me. And they were they were perfect. Uh, piece is called Moments Like These. And it's supposed to be a meaning about moments like those is what some, a mother's going to remember, you know, when her son is old enough to ride and she remembers when he used to help her wash her bike. You know, I'm trying to make an emotional message with the image, like Norman Rockwell is. Yes, um, that would definitely be a Rockwell esque image, and
0: absolutely
1: inspired by Norman, because Norman was a very big inspiration in the way that his paintings told stories, where you didn't even need to know the name of the of the painting to know what he meant when he painted it. And I think that image says the same thing. You can see excited. The kid is really into it. He's scrubbing it. And she's just watching. She's taking it in because, you know, when your kids are older, you maybe you're not going to experience that moment again. So moments like these, you need to cherish.
0: I absolutely love it. And, that, and I I agree with you. That's that's the thing I love about it. And that's why I brought up Norman Rockwell, because just like you said, you look at a Rockwell painting, it tells you a story without knowing the title or anything else. You can figure it out. Same thing with what you do. And that's and I absolutely love it. And I want to pop up the next picture because, it, once again, it does the same thing.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. that little girl, uh, she was the cover piece last year. Oh uh, God, I'm trying to remember her name. She was freaking wonderful. Oh, my God, what an animated little girl. Um, she was uh, recommended by my daughter, Olivia. Olivia said, uh, God, I can't believe I can't remember her name. So that piece is really, really cool, too. That tells a story, too. So my daughters, when I would travel on my bike, you know, on on trips, or I would go to Sturgis or even go on an airplane, when my girls were little, they used to leave notes in my bags, my saddlebag. They put, like, a stickers bar or something. So that image there, um, that's called Daddy's Girl, and I've got two daughters. That little girl is leaving a note in her dad's saddlebag while he packs for Sturgis. There's a calendar on the wall in the back, and it's for August, and all the dates are crossed off. And the next week it says Sturgis. So you know it's the day before Sturgis. He's packing up to head out. And um, the last thing he's putting in his bag is actually a mask, because that was the 2020 cover piece. Yeah. So he's being safe, you know, because of COVID. You don't want to be COVID correct. So, He's got he's putting a uh, mask into his bag is the last thing he's packing and the guy in the back um, actually is now my son-in-law he married Alexa
0: okay you know so wow. it's,
1: uh, it's kind of cool cool tie and he wasn't my son-in-law then
0: uh, but he is now that's outstanding i i love it just that when I saw that and you see the little girl slipping the note in you know and it just Touched my heart, and I wondered if that had something to do with your girls as well. So I'm really glad you tied that's that where, in. For us. That's
1: where the idea came from, and that's a local barn. That's the famous Anderson Ranch, which is off of uh, Route 90. In uh, it's between like Whitewood and Exit 17 on the 90. There, it's on this. It's a beautiful farm. Uh, they were so great to work with me and let, allow me access to the barn. I changed it up on the inside. It didn't look as nice as that on the inside. I put a workbench in the back, and uh, it was pretty cool. Originally, I was going to be in the background, but my daughters told me I didn't have a I didn't have a good looking butt anymore. I had an old old man butt, you know. <laughs> so then Brandon, you know who my daughter would, liked, he's one of our bartenders. Um, she said, uh, you know, why don't you use Brandon? You know, he's got big. I had to actually make his arms smaller, too, because he's a he's a freaking muscle freak. He owns a, a, a nutrition store and everything. His arms are bigger than my legs. So I had to make his arms scale down a little because it looked like they're ripping out of his shirt. Right. He's an amazing person. I love him. I mean, he's just amazing. So, so proud. He's my son in law.
0: What a blessing to add him to your family because yeah. he, you guys have a great family. Um, I want to bring up something else, you know, talk about family, you know, with you. But, oh, yeah. you know, here you are in France in front of the Manor Horn, but you guys travel a lot. But, and I believe but, you just got back from Alaska, right?
1: Uh, yeah, that's actually Switzerland. That's uh, Zermatt.
0: Oh, Switzerland, that's right. I get. Yeah. Uh, yeah, France.
1: Uh, you put your far off because France is right
0: on the side. I've been there. So the fact yeah. that I screwed that up is really egregious. Yeah. But
1: uh, <laughs> we. Have, um, you know, I, I work with Park West Gallery, and I've been under contract with them for almost 20 years now. And uh, Park West is the largest art company in the world, and uh, they have events like Alexa just did one in Rome. I was in Rome with her. My event was right before her, and then two weeks before that, I was in Europe too as well. I did a, a tour of England and Ireland and Scotland. Um, and then I just got back from Alaska, as you said last week, but that was for fun. I went, I went, uh, salmon fishing for the first time in my life. Very nice. Our daughters have been all over the world, New Zealand, Australia, you name it, all over Europe, uh, which I think makes them very worldly and they, it makes them really appreciate the United States because, you know, we, even as much crap as we got going on in our country right now, it's still the best country in the world, in my opinion.
0: Absol- absolutely. Absolutely absolutely just it's a beautiful country and i'm proud to be american and i tell you you know here we got the the rally coming up and uh you know looking forward to that because you get to see america at its best during a rally that's what i tell a lot of folks that haven't experienced it um speaking of which i want to bring up the next picture we've got here it's cute
1: yeah alexa yeah that's her uh uh, I'm trying to remember what she called it but that's uh, that's an amazing piece that brought that brought the most money of any painting that she sold at the show in Rome um, yeah. very, very proud of that I mean God if you could zoom in on that thing my god she did such an amazing job all the wrinkles and the flesh and the beads and everything and uh, she she in the past had only sold a painting I think the most she ever got was twelve thousand dollars. That sold for thirty thousand dollars in the in Rome. I mean that's that's incredible. Almost triple what she had gotten as a record
0: prior to that. That's that's outstanding, and I think she's going to have an incredible career. And I uh, been looking at the stuff that she uh, she had the one set of lips that she did. I love yep. that piece. Uh, it's really really beautiful. Um, yep. But you know you've got you've got Alexa there, uh, Olivia. She's she's in photography, and yep. but you've got a you've got a number of artists there in your studio. Why don't you tell us a little bit about? If somebody comes out for the rally this year, comes by their studio, they can see your stuff. They can see uh, Alexis's stuff. They can see Olivia's stuff. But who else are we going to be able to see there? Some of the different things.
1: My nephew, Todd, uh, who's been a, an assistant with me for, I think, like 13 or 14 years now. he's uh, I trained him to be a photo realist too, as well. And I trained him in my style. So when I'm doing, like, the painting I'm working on now, you know, this one here... Like say, and this is very simple. This is a totally different style, but this is for a wine label. Um, like I, I could say, okay, paint this blue solid in the background. I could all draw it out in pencil and say, paint that blue for me. And the reason I have an assistant, I've always had an assistant for years, is because that way when I'm traveling, my paintings can still be worked on. I leave, you know, instructions on what I need done next. And Todd's been that guy for me for a long, long time. He's taken his art to the next level, and he's been an amazing, amazing uh, help for me over the years, helped me through my recovery. Um, You know, when I couldn't paint hardly more than an hour a day, you know, I sat with him and told him exactly. And he became my hands for for about 14 months. You know, I did as much as I could, but he helped me out a lot. So he got me through a, a really hard time in my life.
0: And and I'd like to point out, I mean, you're, so you're talking about assistant. And I think a lot of people don't realize that some of the greatest artists in, in history have had assistants. And Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel was not solely painted just by him. No, it, was with, it, no. it was with a number of other people through his direction. So, you yeah. know, I think that's important that people understand that.
1: I know some artists that have, uh, like Peter Max, a real famous artist from... Yep. Uh, Decades ago, he's, he's not really doing much anymore. He's he's, he's got some, a lot of health issues. At one time, Peter told me he's had as many as a hundred assistants. He had such a demand for his work, and his work is you know simple. I mean, I could do, yes. I could probably do a painting in a half an hour in his style. But he has such a huge following around the world. He needed that many people to keep up with the demand. You know, where I just have one guy. The most I've ever had is is two people, and that would be maybe somebody that was you know, helping me do framing or something or stretching my canvas. But Todd and two or three other people in the past have been my, you know, my, my head guys behind me. And it's been a big, big help. But I, I can't forget to talk about Daniel James, too, who's here in the gallery. He's really the only non-family member. So it's called Jacob's Gallery. So you got Scott Jacobs, you got Olivia Jacobs, Alexa Jacobs, my nephew, Todd, whose works on display, and then the only other artist that's not in the has the Jacobs name is a guy named Daniel James Stuckenschneider. And Daniel's been in the motorcycle industry for about 30 years now, as well as me. Um, Dan started as a clothing designer for t shirts for Harley Davidson. He's designed more t shirt designs than anybody in their history. You know, shirt backs for dealers. I mean, if you have Harley, yeah. shirt, you have something that Dan's designed very interesting they've used those images to do all kinds of products as well um you know coffee mugs and and tin signs and all kinds of things that are sold all over the world so daniel james is the other the only other artist that's in the gallery that's not a jacobs he's a very close friend he moved back here to deadwood about two months ago and actually i'm gonna have a drink with him tonight at my brew house
0: very nice very nice well so now um Let's remind people the uh, your gallery. I know where it's at, but let's tell folks where your gallery's at so they can find you during the rally.
1: Well, we're right on Main Street in downtown Deadwood, and 670 Main. You can't miss us. It's a pretty big front edge. We, we have four doors across the front. Um, it's, it's just a beautiful space. We've got a lot of antique bikes on display all the way back to 1915 in here. Um, we've got a lot of handmade stuff from local artisans from the Black Hills area. We're trying to support the local community by having leather goods and jewelry and all kinds of things that are all, you know, we don't have things from China in here. We're trying to be an American made company, a hundred percent. And believe it or not, the only stuff that we have that's made in China are my tin signs that Harley Davidson produces everything that okay. American stuff in here. So, but the only way to have my tin signs is if I buy them from Harley Davidson and they're made in China,
0: unfortunately. And then now those tins, so people know those that, um they're signed by you, correct? They're There's signed the sign by you. Yep, you've Yeah, we've got so during the rally,
1: you know, you can come in if you want to get the Sturgis guide. You know, which I was showing you guys before. It's my twenty seventh cover in a row for Sturgis. People can come in. I, I usually, if I'm not here, I sign a, a big stack of them. They're on the counter. You can take one. Um, this piece, which is going to be the uh, magazine cover, or not the magazine cover, the uh, the wine, wine label. Yeah, for the, this year's piece, you can purchase the wine. I will sell, uh, sell you the wine and also sign the bottle for you. I believe it's going to be about between 45 and $60. We're waiting for the uh, the final quote from the winery. We're supposed to get bottles next week. But uh, uh, Jay Lore is the company that we're getting the wine from. Uh,
0: with really, really- Yeah,
1: for Paso Robles in California, great wine. We wanted to have a good wine in there. And the reason that we're making them available for sale is because in the past, if you bought a painting of mine that had a wine bottle in it, we would give you one as a gift and I would sign it. But you couldn't buy another one. The reason we're selling them now this year is because enjoy one. We're going to put grape wine in it so you can enjoy one. You can buy it for gifts. I mean, how cool it would be if you come back from Sturgis and your friend couldn't make it this year, but you bring yeah. them in official bottles. I have never done a still life for Sturgis ever before in my career this is the first still life wine image ever for Sturgis in their history. So talk about a collectible bottle of wine, also signed by the artist too.
0: I yeah, think, I absolutely I think love it.
1: this is going to be a really popular. I mean, I think it should be popular because it's a you know it's a unique thing.
0: You know, I'm a, I'm totally with you on that. I think it should be, and I think everybody should be excited to have an opportunity to buy one. Yeah. Um, and then. Tell people, too, now you've got uh, the brew house. So tell people how they get to the brew house.
1: And the the reason the reason I opened that project, which I didn't touch on after my uh, my talking about my accident, is because I didn't know if I'd be able to paint at this level again. And so we opened up the brew house. So the city of Deadwood calls it the Jacobs block because we bought multiple buildings in a row and we opened up the, the walls between them. So they're all technically now one huge building. So the first building's got a beautiful restaurant in it. We see, yep. I think, 125 people in it. We have 55 outdoor seats. We have a mezzanine in there. Uh, we've got an incredible wine collection, full bar. The next building is a, is a bakery, a coffee shop, and a small grocery area. It's got specialty items. Again, as many local artisans as we can use are in there. Uh, we have even the Sturgis paintings uh, on display in there now because we get so many people through there. And then the next building is actually the only brewery in, in Deadwood. It's called Jacob's Brew House. Um, so the beer is made by us on, on premise. We have our whole facility, our production facility is in that building as well. And that's also a full restaurant. So we have three buildings together. The buildings on the ends are both restaurants, and they sandwich the coffee shop, bakery, grocery store in the middle. And I've got an amazing staff. Uh, we've got a hundred people that we employ all from the area and I, I, th- I think it's the best place in town. And I tell, I, I, confidently say that to anybody that comes to Deadwood, they say, oh, where should we, I said, well, you we should eat at Jacob's brew house. Oh, do you own it? I was like, I do own it, but I'm telling you it's the best place in town because that was our intention. My wife says, oh, you shouldn't say that, you know, but you sound conceited. I'm like, but wasn't our intention to build the best, coolest place in town? you would have to walk through the front door to see it i mean it, from the bar's are handmade the, the handle the door handles are one it's
0: of a- it's a beautiful beautiful space and you guys paid so much attention to the to the devil's in the details and you guys paid attention to those details and you paid attention to the menu you did a fine job with the menu um it's there's something for everybody the food's exceptional there's I, I've eaten there twice, you know. I'll, I'll be eating there again this year and everything else. But I've never had anything that I was disappointed in, and I haven't heard anybody else say that they were disappointed. They've always been impressed.
1: We've had some nights, you know, where you know something fell through the cracks. You know, maybe somebody got cold French fries on their thing, or something was too salty. I mean, that 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 happens. You know, it we,
0: happens. Have,
1: we have our off nights. So Your employee's not paying attention or something. So. We're definitely not perfect, but we have almost a five-star rating on our restaurant on all search engines, which is is pretty pretty amazing. And I, I give all the credit to our employees. You know, we had the vision to build it, but you know, when it, it's kind of scary when you you come up with an idea and you spend all that money to do it, and then you hand it over, you give it to your employees to make it successful because you can't do it all, and they're making it work. I'm so proud of our staff. I mean. There's not one person in there that, you know, my wife and I have these conversations. Is there anybody on the fence, meaning that we need to get rid of? There's nobody on the fence. Everybody's doing an amazing job. That's great. And I think they they, uh, they understand the vision that we have as a company. And, you know, the Jacob's name, if we put our name on it. We're trying to hold a new standard, um, you know, in this area. On our truck, and our billboard, on the highway, it says setting a new standard. Because I think rising tides float all boats. You know, our restaurant has no casino games. We have no TVs. Our music isn't loud. You can talk easily at your table without having to, you know, scream over the music. You know, when you're there, you're present with each other. You know, I mean, we have so many distractions every day. I mean, you know, these things, how many many people get distracted by a cell phone all day long? You know, and then if you and I are having dinner and I have a TV behind you, no matter how hard I try, I'm going to glance at that every once in a while. It's going to take some of my attention. Maybe I don't hear the punchline to your great joke because the fishing channels on it is caught a big one. You know what I
0: mean? <laughs> you
1: know, so we, we're we trying to create something that's family friendly. We have a dog menu. We allow dogs in there. Everybody's like, do you guys really allow dogs? We're like, yeah, we like the dogs a lot of times more than the people that come in here. You know, and yeah. it, we have a dog menu. You can get a dog hamburger. You can get a pup cup to go home. You know, a well, dessert fine. It's
0: fun. my little guy's coming with me for the first time so he's gonna make his first truck to stir all right.
1: this. a burger if he likes chicken you know even a salad if he's you know a vegetarian whatever
0: he likes it all <laughs> he's uh, he he likes it all but what i what i actually put in his bowl so yeah good so now if uh, you know we both know how busy it can get during work uh the rally so if somebody's out there and wants to you know come to your establishment and have dinner uh, any recommendations on how they should secure a seat or good times. Anything best, like that. You know,
1: if, if you're coming in and say you have a bigger group, say you have you know more than four people, you come in eight or ten. We had sixteen last night. A cup, you know, a, we have some big tables. If you have a bigger group, the best thing to do, we don't take reservations only because we've been messed up sometimes because people say, oh yeah, we got twenty coming and you set a bunch of tables and you tell other people, oh no, we got a big group coming in and then they never show up. So what we do is if you're on your way and maybe it's maybe you got eight people, call us a half an hour before. So you've got eight people coming over. Put us on the list or if we have a table available. We'll put your name on it. and We'll hold it for about 10 minutes after that, uh, because, you know, when you're holding tables and uh, you're, you're telling people you can't sit there, we're losing revenue if you don't. Yep. show. So a lot of the restaurants, especially during the rally, don't take any reservations at all. So call ahead or come early. The best times for us are like the times that old people eat, like, you know, five thirty, six o'clock. Sure. you probably get in. But we have more seats than anybody in, in, in the restaurant in town. In town. We, have, we can sit 247. We open the balcony just just under 300 at one time. That's a lot of people.
0: And are you able to do takeout orders during the rally? I know you're going to be pretty it slim. It
1: depends. It depends. Um, if we get too busy in the restaurant – and what people try to do, you tell them, oh, you know, there's an hour away, an hour and a half way. The first thing you want to do is, oh, let's just order takeout. But the reason we're backed up is because the kitchen's backed up. So if we're super backed up, we won't do takeout. Okay. You know, which I, I, bothered me at first as a, you know, as a restaurateur, because this is new to me, you know, it's only been two years. But then I talked to the kitchen and I was like, well, I understand. We're telling people an hour, an hour, half way, because that's how long it's going to take them to get food. And Then you get you know 20 people come in and order take you know takeout orders and you're pushing everybody else back. It's not fair.
0: Yep. You
1: know, so that's so that's how it is everywhere here during the rally. I mean, you just have to be patient. That's the thing. I think that everybody that comes into a restaurant should have worked in a restaurant for some time. Yeah, it's tough, it helps. you know, standing in front of an easel, painting a pretty picture all day, easy. Running a restaurant, not so much. It's no, it's, it's not a tough thing, man.
0: Been there, done that. It's uh, it's quite the task, that's for sure. Some people, um, are,
1: some people are mean. They don't understand what's going on in there. They don't understand about the supply chain and the lack of employees that people have and people not showing up or getting sick or whatever it is. You know, it's just come in, sit down and be patient, have a drink and you're in Sturgis or whatever it is. Just, just enjoy the people you're with, you know. People are waiting on you. I mean, you're sitting there, they're waiting on you. You're not waiting on them, you
0: know. It's it's an experience to enjoy, and you know you, you're already with with the gallery, you know, with uh, Jacob's Block and everything. You're already kind of become a destination for you know if you're in Deadwood or I would say the Black Hills anywhere around. But you've you're about you're going to be adding another thing. Is that is that correct?
1: Uh, well, the the new the third baby that or yes. yeah yeah Alexa's pregnant again. She's due in February um very excited about that and as so far they think it's a boy so we'll have our our first grandson or not actually our second grandson because hendrix olivia's baby i actually got to show you my tattoo can you see that the hd yes everybody thinks it's for harley davidson it's for hendrix and daisy my two grandkids
0: oh i love it. I yes, love but, it
1: but everybody that sees it just thinks it's harley davidson but it's got like a double meaning to it the h and the d i, I got it down in uh um, daytona this year because it was pouring rain so many times and our booth was pretty slow because of the rain. So I'm like, I'm going to go get a tattoo. Let me design it. So Dan and I sat down and we designed the HD tattoo for my two grandkids. It's
0: kind of cool. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. And then you're going to be doing uh, the brewery as well, correct? Yep. Yep. So you're going to expand that. So tell people about that. Uh,
1: We're going to expand. We're, we're getting a uh, production. We're looking for land now to build a production facility and a bottling plant. Our beer has been doing so well. I mean, you know, we have that, we have those two restaurants and we sell some of it, so much of it through our own, you know, place that we got to the point where so many other people are asking about it in other restaurants and places. So the only way to do that is to get a production facility and expand it. Um, our original brewmaster's name's Carson Quinn that started us, started us going in the brewing business. He had quit. Uh, he got a, he's a, he's a geologist and he got a huge offer at the mine up in lead. And he did that for a while. And we encouraged him to go because that's what he went to school for. I'd never want to hold anybody back from sure. you know, the other or that he missed brewing. So he's coming back to us in about two weeks. And so I feel confident with him being back on board to be able to take our brewery to the next level, you know, to maybe go, um, you know, nationally sometime in the future would be, you know, of course, everybody's goal. But even if it you even be regional, you know, throughout South Dakota, maybe Colorado, and, um, you know, and, and have some competition around with some of the other brewers that have been around a while. You know, and our name's on it, and it's, I don't know, it's kind of cool seeing people wearing our hats and our, you know, all our garb around and asking for our beers by name, come, you know, people coming in asking for an underbite charlie. And an underbite Charlie is a raspberry blonde ale named after my dog Charlie, who's got a huge underbite.
0: <laughs> I He's love
1: it. On, the, on the back of shirts, and people are wearing your shirts all over the place. And I just I walk down the street and see somebody wearing a picture of my dog on their back. It just makes me giggle. It's just so freaking cool. That's a lot of fun. That's yeah, a lot
0: of fun. it. Really is. Well this this has been such you know such a great interview, and I hope that people that are on their way to Sturgis or you know for the rally and stuff, you know, when they see this, you know, I want them to come by and, and check out your place, check out your art, check out your food, your beer, everything else. Yeah. But what, now we we wrap up every interview with three questions for our guests and same questions for everybody. So I hope you're ready for these questions. They're not hard. I think you know, yours, just like I tell everybody, can be interesting. You should have given them to me before. I could have had like a script or something to read. <laughs> Got to be off the cuff. Yeah we don't like the role that way. So the first, the first question, um, if you could go ride with anybody, past or present, who would you like to go ride with?
1: Arlen Ness again.
0: That's a good answer. No. And, uh, that, uh, that would make some people proud to hear that I'm sure. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool.
1: Makes me teary to be honest. He, um, he was a big inspiration to me uh, because, sorry, as I got more famous, I wanted to model myself after him the way that he was always available to his uh, his fans. And uh, I loved him. Our families were very close. Um, you know, my, my kids grew up in the motorcycle industry. His did. We had a lot in common. Um, Arlen always rode um, at the back of the pack. Um, he sat down with me one day. One of our friends, you know, I'm in the Hamster Motorcycle Group, and one of our friends, yes. Barry Cooney, uh, who I love, great big friend. He was a great friend of Arlen's too. He um, he was always in front, flying. It was like it was about the destination for him. It wasn't about the journey. And Arlen one day, you know, cause I, a couple times, you know, new to the hamsters back in the, you know, God, I've been a hamster for a long time, 25 years. I think. I would try, sometimes try to keep up with Barry and Barry had close calls quite often. He even uh, went down, went under a truck. One time we were in Wyoming driving to Sturgis. Arlen said, I asked him one day, why are you always in the back? He goes, I know where they're going. I just want to get there safe. And he said, he said, "Scott, you should never ride any faster than you feel you're 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 comfortable at. Don't ever make anybody as a rider make you ride any faster than you're comfortable. You know, if you think you got to keep up with somebody, pull over. You know, like like on those rides, you know, with Arlen, I, I've ridden all over the world with him, all over Europe and everything. And ever since he said that to me, I was like, yeah." why am I in a rush? I mean, we're out here loving motorcycles. Why am I in a rush to get to the fricking hotel? They'll be there when I get there. I just want to get there in one piece.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, Arlen was genuine and the legacy he left behind is a genuine legacy. I would have to say. He was a great man. Absolutely. So the next question I think uh, is an interesting one for you because you've had an opportunity to own some interesting motorcycles, but if you could own any motorcycle, um, uh, what would you like to have?
1: I already have them. Um, my my favorite bike it's honestly is my 1926 J. I mean, it's only a 61 cubic inch, thousand cc. The bike that uh Hunzinger uh, restored for me is yes. the most enjoyable bike I have ever ridden in my entire life. I mean, it's you know it's it's got the The tractor seat, it's got the handlebars that come out. You feel like you're driving a bus, but the floorboards are in the perfect place. The seat is comfortable. It's just got a little rock, you know, you're going down the highway. And then if you could consider your handlebars out to your sides, you know, you've got your drink in one hand, you got your remote to your TV in the other hand. I mean, it's like you're sitting on a couch going down. It's just so, it's so comfortable. And the other thing too, what I like about old bikes is you can't go fast. You have sure. to be careful. They don't stop like a new bike. You know, you get these new bikes, they can go fast. Does that mean you need to go fast? No. Just, you know, after having accidents over the years, I've had three accidents. I had one in Spain. I had one in New Jersey. And then I had that one in Maryland. And, you know, you learn. You know, there's there's a, a lot of my three accidents were road conditions. And then the, with so many people distracted by phones and everything else going on in their lives, you got to worry about everybody out there on the road. And when I'm That's out on the road. I can't go 80 miles an hour. That thing will freaking fall apart. You know, I'm, I'm going to st- slow down way before a stop sign because the thing needs a lot of time to stop. I might have to
0: use my feet even. Well, I, it's, you know, and that's a great point. I know that when I take Spearfish Canyon, for example, yeah, you're going through that canyon. It's a beautiful canyon. and I And I'm just going through. I like to take my time. I like to take in the sights, even though I've seen it numerous times, every time it feels like the first time. And that's what's so beautiful about that. And then all of a sudden you get guys to just rip past. And I'm like, well, you know, what'd you come here for? Because this is, this is what's magnificent about it. You know, be it on Needles Highway there, you know, whatever. There's so much beauty there to take in. And that's, and that's not just there. It's anywhere in the country. So I'm, I'm the guy that I'm not, I don't have any desire to go ripping around. I want to take it all in because that's why I do it.
1: So you'd be, if you arrived with Arlen and I, you'd be in the back with us. Just getting yep. there and enjoying the sights. I mean, I you know, after moving out here from San Diego, I realized that when I drive down the highway, I'm, I'm looking at the scenery. I'm enjoying where I live in San Diego. I had to just watch every car. Somebody riding up on the buck, you know, you know, honking at me to get out of the way. And I'm in the diamond lane going 90 and it's, you know, a 70 speed limit. People are pissed at me because I'm only going 20 over the speed limit. It's just mm-hmm. Like I have a lot more breaths in my body and my life out here, kind of less stress to being out here. And the last thing I want to do is be uh, rushed on a motorcycle.
0: Yeah, for me, I would. I don't head into Chicago. I go to Milwaukee once in a while because I'm smack dab between them. But let me go along the coast of Lake Michigan and up north of Milwaukee or up to the uh, the Big Woods and stuff like that. That's absolute beauty up there, and that's what I really enjoy. Yeah, I do. Too. So. Awesome. It's kind of interesting we're talking like this because the last question is, um, you know, what's one place in the world that you haven't ridden that you would like to go ride one day? Um, probably
1: New Zealand or Norway. Yeah, New Zealand and Norway. You know, because I've been to both of those countries and i've I've seen them by land and I've also seen them by sea. Some of those roads just look killer around those fjords. Yes. I mean, Talk about switchbacks and not be able to go, you know, fast, but man, I think, I think that'd be awesome. I've ridden, you know, all through the Alps and through the Pyrenees mountains and all around Spain and all that in Italy with Arlen, actually, we used to do rides together with big twin magazine, Uh, a guy named Bo Pacheco was the editor and he put together these, uh, these international uh, events and rides and you'd have like 20 or 30 couples and Arlen and I were like the two uh, celebrity guests to try to attract more people to go on these things. And um, those places are beautiful, too. But when I saw the fjords and stuff in New Zealand, that's a totally different type of look, that place. I, I would love to do
0: those. Well, it's, it's amazing to me when you look at New Zealand that you could be up on a snow-capped mountain. And by the time you're at the bottom of the mountain, okay, you're on the sea. Yeah. You are on the mission. And that's, to me, that's just so cool. That's that's always been, for me, New Zealand's it. I mean, I've ridden Europe. I've ridden different places and stuff like that. But New Zealand, is the one place I'd like to go ride as well. So you're the first person of, the, I guess, that said New Zealand. So that's pretty cool.
1: Really a beautiful place. My favorite town that I've been to so far is one called Taranga. Taranga's got an old dormant uh, volcano there and everything. And it's a beach town. It's just beautiful. Yeah, uh, I've been to Auckland and a lot of big cities and to the, the, the different islands and all that. But it's uh, it's beautiful. Australia probably be kind of cool too. You know, the yeah. northern Australia up around the you know the reef and all that. I think that'd be yeah. kind of cool. But the topography of of uh, New Zealand is very very different from any other country I've been to. Um, you know, I traveled all over the world, and there's a lot of times that I feel like I could be in a, another country because it looks so similar to another country where New Zealand is so unique, you know, you're in someplace special. And, uh, I think that'd be good. Maybe, maybe we can ride there sometime together or together.
0: There we go. Yeah. That sounds like a plan we need to make. So sure does. Well, Scott, this has been, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. Um, once again, I just want to tell folks, make, you know, make it a point to come out and see your gallery, uh, go out to the brew house and, and check things out. And, uh, We're going to see you here shortly,
1: and I'll be around. So if anybody needs to meet me or they want to get a book or something that needs to be signed, my my staff will know where I'm at. You know, so you know to wait for you or have you come over and I'll sign whatever you need.
0: Sounds great, wonderful. Well, thank you, sir. Have a good evening.
1: Thank you. You too. Take care.